0: Hello and welcome. Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive youth athletes, survivors of abuse, and their families who are dealing with abusive authority figures. This podcast is for anyone who is fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. I really hope that you enjoy the contents of each episode, but remember, it is never a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who knows and understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes, head on over to my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. And one more thing, don't forget, rate and review the show and leave a comment. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you're listening to this show. Today, I have with me a guest from one of my favorite organizations, Child USA. It's Alice Bohan. And am I saying your last name correctly?
1: It's actually Boone. Boone. Okay. (laughs) Now and spell that for everyone. That's B O H N. It it makes B-O-H-N. no sense to me.
0: <laughs> B O H N. That's all right. But Alice is here from Child USA. And we are going to dive into an interesting conversation that has to do with some of the statute of limitations that have been extended around the USA that deal directly with child abuse, deal with allowing individuals who were abused as children to bring those causes of action, be they in civil court or criminal court, allows them a longer period of time to come to terms, to process what's happened to them, and then to hold abusive authority figures accountable. When I found out through Child USA that one state very close to me, I'm in New Jersey, and the state in particular was Pennsylvania, failed to pass one of these laws that would allow victims the ability to get their voice back. I'm telling you, I read it and I was was angry as I read it. And I saw Alice's name at the bottom of the press release and I reached out immediately to her and asked her to come onto the show and to give our listeners some behind the scenes information because this is what in to me child usa does. So Alice start us out. By talking a little bit about Child USA, what you do, what brought you to this work, and then kind of loop back and tell us about the Pennsylvania law and why it did not pass.
1: Oh gosh. Well, so Child USA is a national think tank. We're a nonprofit think tank that works on child protection issues. So our big goal is to end child abuse and neglect in the United States. Um, which means we've got a lot of work to do. So we've got a social science division and a legal department. And the social science team produces and collects research related to children and abuse. And the legal team gets to use all of that research and essentially try and improve the laws surrounding child abuse. So I came to Child USA in part because I had a prior interest in child protection issues, especially sexual violence and sex trafficking. So, when I saw the opportunity to work with Professor Marcy Hamilton, who's our founder, I had to jump at that opportunity. And she's successfully kept me around, and gosh, we've just got so much work to do. So I'm I'm loving being there. But one of our big areas of work is trying to reform the statutes of limitations for child sex abuse around the country and federally because we know that the laws have historically been Unjust for victims. The more that we learn about trauma and the way that trauma impacts people, the more we understand that it can take decades for someone who's been abused to get to the point where they can recognize that abuse or acknowledge it themselves or really understand how that abuse has impacted their lives. So, so requiring someone who was abused as a five-year-old to come to court, you know before really before their mid fifties, we would say is just totally unreasonable. So we're we're working with lawmakers, we're working with lawyers, we're working with victims and survivors, we're we're working with courts and essentially trying to get the word out so that the system works better for the people who need it most.
0: That's excellent. When you talk about the trauma and how survivors have to process that And now that the science and the medicine are coming around and showing that it's very rare for a survivor to disclose the abuse. I have to, you know, think about some of the cases that I worked on and how it was, usually you got this type of query. Well, why didn't they tell anyone? Why didn't they talk? Who was the first person they told? Now, when I saw that, that would be either it would be used by opposing counsel or it would be used to cast doubt on the story or what the survivor was talking about. Is that what you found to be one of the main reasons why these laws are so important?
1: I think that's definitely an element for many of the people that we've interacted with you know, there were positions of trust, adults in their lives who took advantage of being in these positions of trust, who knew the victim already. And so, you know, as a child, how are you supposed to sort through, this is right, or this is wrong, you know, this person is crossing my boundaries, when they're a person that you trust, who's teaching you what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship in the first place. So to then become an adult and to start to unpack that, to hold someone to a standard of, okay, there's one date that you've disclosed and this is, or this is the date that you knew, fails to understand that disclosure can be a year-long process or it can happen over time. It's messier than just one specific date. So we've definitely seen that.
0: It's extremely messy. In my experience in dealing with clients, using that word messy is the perfect way to describe how disclosure, when and if it happens. And many times I've seen instances where the disclosure has been accidental. So for example, a child writing a letter, writing a note in their diary, and a teacher or trusted adult comes upon it. And even then you'll have denial. I've also had instances, the ones that really broke my heart when I worked as a prosecutor in Crimes Against Children, where you had children tell you a credible story, had the ring of truth, but the adults that were around them, I can think of two situations where the child came back and they recanted. They took the story back, so to speak, and I know in my heart it was because the adults around them did not want them to tell. And I often thought to myself, as I saw those children leave out of the office, will they have an opportunity at some point later on when they're independent? Of these negative influences to come back so that's another hope and that's why i got excited when i learned about all of the extensions of the statute of limitations and what and liberty it is an extension of your liberty <laughs> and what child usa was doing so bringing us then to the reason why i wanted you to speak today tell the listeners about our state of pennsylvania What went on there? So for example, and I'll contrast that. So for example, New York, New Jersey, California, so many of the other states, lawmakers went in in the state, they heard testimony, they educated themselves, they passed laws that extended the statute of limitation, giving survivors up to 50, 52, 55. And then with that, there's also what we know called to be revival windows or that time period where a survivor regardless of when the abuse happened can come back. So tell us what happened in Pennsylvania. What was
1: behind the scenes there? Gosh. Well, so this story doesn't start this year. This goes back a lot further, you know, it, over the last 20 years. So 20 years ago, I think this country started to have a reckoning with itself about about child abuse and and the extent to which it was being allowed in families, in institutions, in churches, in youth-serving organizations. And the states that you mentioned started to pay attention. They started to listen and agreed that this is not okay. They agree that reforming the statute of limitations, it's a societal good. And as a result, I think over the last 20 years, we've had, gosh, 24 states, Washington yeah. and DC all pass some form of revival legislation or, or window law, like the ones we're talking about. And back in 2005, there was the grand jury investigation of the Philadelphia Archdiocese. And our founder, Marcy, at that time was working with Lynn Abraham to try to get on drafting legislation and introducing legislation to create this kind of a look back window. And so it's it's really been since 2005 that we've been working to try and make a change. So a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019, the the legislature finally passed a bill that would essentially encourage the public to vote to change the constitution and to actually make a look back window in the constitution itself. But Last year, we learned that because of an admin failure, that bill wasn't going to go through to the public vote. And so we're now faced with, it was literally a a failure to advertise. Oh my gosh. Issue that led us to where we are now. So what's crazy and what's frustrating in Pennsylvania is that this conversation has been had multiple times in the legislatures and went so far as to two years ago, you know, pass a a law that would put this question to the public. So HB 951 is the name of a bill that we're hoping will be brought before the Pennsylvania legislature and passed. It's to introduce one of these windows. Up until now, it has not been brought for a vote. It's essentially, instead of asking the people of Pennsylvania to vote to change the constitution. It just changes the statute, which is what every other state has been doing without a problem. Yet uh, there is concern in the leadership that this isn't constitutional in Pennsylvania, despite the fact that multiple other states with very similar constitutions have done the exact same thing. So it's, it's been kind of an uphill battle to, to try and convince convince leadership to bring this bill for a vote.
0: So with the backdrop of what's been going on for about 20 years, and of course I know and I followed what was going on in Pennsylvania with the grand jury investigation and the archdiocese, that even makes it, I feel like that's even a worse gut punch, so to speak. Very briefly, can you tell the listeners about that 20-year archdiocese? What did that involve?
1: Well, Various grand jury investigations have been undertaken around the country. And I know that the grand jury investigation on the Philadelphia Archdiocese was essentially trying to take a look at what's really going on in the Archdiocese with child abuse and finding that children were being sexually abused and that the Archdiocese was turning a blind eye and trying to police themselves internally and. Failing at it. Failing at it. (laughs) Totally failing. And, you know, what we've seen in the last 20 years, as much as I want to give credit to the institutions, they can't police themselves well. So we've been watching state after state after state do the right thing and change the laws. So that there's outside accountability, which makes it even more frustrating to see that Pennsylvania has not taken that final step of creating this look back window.
0: So, you know, I on some of the episodes, Alice, I go on and on and I give my opinion and my two cents and my experience, but I'm interested in hearing, you know, From having worked on this with USA, what, in your opinion, do you think is the reason why the bill, I know that administratively, it didn't go through. Do you think, though, there were pushback from the lawmakers itself? Do you think there's other forces, just a general sense of
1: resistance? I think anyone with money who could be impacted by the bill has a strong... has a strong stake in it. And so if that is, if that's insurance companies or other institutions that could be brought in as a result of cases, I'm sure that there is interest. That's a great point. And work behind the scenes because, you know, it's kind of a nightmare in some ways for institutions to be brought into lawsuits that they didn't want to to be involved in. I mean that being said, we still stand by the fact that doing this kind of reform, it, you know, it identifies perpetrators to the public who were previously able to kind of function in secrecy. It creates access to justice for victims who are finally ready for those who want to kind of name and claim their experience for them to get to court. It helps shift the cost Of abuse because there are costs associated with abuse. It shifts that cost from the victim to those who are responsible for letting it happen. And it helps the public become more aware because we have learned so much as a result of the look back windows in other states. So I think the biggest issue in Pennsylvania is that the leadership is just really caught up on this question of constitutionality, despite the fact that we have repeatedly answered their questions, you know, compared the constitution of Pennsylvania to the constitution of other states. I mean, you know, there's this concern of a flood of cases and New York saw just over 10,000 cases, which is by far the most cases that we've ever seen from a look back window. And given how often abuse happens, I'd say it's still pretty low. Yeah. (laughs) So we have, you know, answered all of the questions, but it's like the legislature or at least the leadership would rather anticipate what they think the courts are going to decide and then not act instead of passing the laws and letting the courts interpret the laws.
0: So here is my purely unscientific opinion. When I take together, so when I look at what Pennsylvania is not doing, refusing to do, and I tie it in and maybe I'm tying it in and they're totally separate when I tie in and see what happened with the courts in the overturning of the Bill Cosby case. And I did read that opinion. And just kind of some of the general sense that I get of the attitude. And I'm not indicting everyone in Pennsylvania under my unscientific opinion, but it just appears to me to be a sentiment there among, like you said, the leadership that they would rather not deal with this. Excuses such as what you mentioned before a flood of cases. Perfect point. A flood of cases taken in proportion to what? All of the Abuse that we don't know about. What I've seen also is that even knowing as a survivor that you have the option, many times survivors don't come forward, but they feel some sense of validation. They feel like, okay, I didn't dream this. This happened to me. This was real. Just seeing someone else come forward. Right before we hit record, we were talking about the supermodel, Carrie Sutton, I believe is her name. And it was a New York Times article just in new york our look back window closed recently and the either the day it closed or the day before she filed a lawsuit against her modeling agency that she had worked for in the 80s and 90s and it outlined just outlined just a host of sexual verbal and mental abuses that she had gone through in the article Kerry stated that the reason, the impetus for her to come forward is seeing what happened in the Bill Cosby case, knowing that there were models coming behind her. And also it was important, she said, that she now had daughters and seeing how their bodies are objectified. So we do, we all lose when states like Pennsylvania don't pass these laws. We all lose when we live in this type of cloud that this isn't happening this is not going on. So those are great points and great reasons why this has to pass. So what do you think about the future? Are you hopeful about this bill coming back up and about uh, legislators
1: picking it picking it back up? What do you think? I am absolutely hopeful. I have to be hopeful. <laughs> and you know it's reported that that this bill would pass if it were brought to the floor. So so I am I'm very hopeful. As I think you made such a good point that for so many people, just knowing that they can bring a claim, knowing that the state has seen them and has validated the experience that they carry around daily is is enough. And so I, gosh, I want that so much for the people of Pennsylvania because of the way that trauma, in, you know, impacts an individual, a family, a whole society. So I'm very hopeful. I think that there are too many people who've been impacted by child sexual abuse or who know someone who has been impacted by it for this not to, you know, for this to just go away. Like some folks may, may want it to. It's a little like that.
0: (laughs) May very much. And you brought up a point that I don't think I've had someone really talk about before the cost of abuse. Many times I think that if we couched our arguments, and our advocacy in the terms of the cost. Everyone understands cost. Everyone likes numbers. And I want us to just, as a, as a final point before we wrap up, is to talk about that cost of abuse. I can tell you that I've seen the cost of abuse the most obvious in the, by way of the survivor having to pay themselves for years of therapy, but you also set, talked about the family and what they go through. What what have you seen on your end be the cost of abuse, both monetary and otherwise?
1: Well, I mean, coming back to earlier, it's so messy, right? So you've got an individual who's impacted, and we know we now know that trauma, like physically, impacts a person. So there's there's the mental and emotional trauma, and then there are the higher healthcare costs and those outcomes, oftentimes, you know, the state ends up paying for a lot of that through Medicare. So it's in the state's interest. If we're just talking about the financial, you know, the costs of therapy, that is for many people really needed in order to move forward. There's the the medical costs. There's the societal costs. We've met so many people who, you know, want to move forward, but have to walk through these murky waters of healing first, who can't work, who can't keep a stable job, yeah. who can't stay in a healthy relationship, who, for, you know, for the life of them can't reconcile or be in a position of trust or vulnerability with another person. So that, I mean, the implications that that has for a pre-existing family, especially if there's abuse in the family, which very common, or implications for forming future families is massive. It can be a very lonely place for a victim to be, especially if they don't have people they can trust or if they can't afford to pay for that therapy on their own. So I think that employers, I mean, employers are invested, whether or not they know it. Families are invested, whether or not they know it. Schools are invested, whether or not they know it. And lawmakers are invested, whether or not they know it. So
0: it's going to impact us all. It's impacting us all, whether we want to consciously
1: recognize it or not. Huge. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that generally that child abuse is is one of our most pressing public health crises in the United States, whether or not we acknowledge it. And sexual abuse is, I'd say, even more extreme. It is not going
0: away, Alice. And I join you in being hopeful. I join you in being hopeful and in the mission And I know my listeners do. So many of the people out there, they write me, they send me emails. They want to know about their options. They want to know at least that they have them. And that's why seeing this bill die made me frustrated. But like I said, I join you in that hope to ending child abuse and neglect like Child USA is doing. We have to get this. If you are listening to this and you live in Pennsylvania, do what I always say to do. You Google your state legislature find that person's name, send them an email, it's different. So Alice, I worked from for a time on Capitol Hill, and at that time we you were either I was an intern and you would call, you would run the mail up to the hill. <laughs> and part of that was actually physically taking these letters to the different senators' offices, and also if you wanted to Uh, read someone you didn't just open up email you had to write them a letter we don't have that anymore if you live in pennsylvania google your lawmaker's name is that easy your district put in your address send them a letter what's the name of the bill again that we're or hb 951
1: yeah we want interns to be exhausted because they're hearing from so many people
0: yes That's exactly, let's get this passed. Let's give everyone the belief that they have options and let's uncover this once and for all. Let's normalize the conversation around it so that people can heal because that's how I have seen individuals heal by normalizing it. Stop letting the survivors feel like they're living in secret. So tell everyone about my favorite organization and how they can find you guys before we wrap up.
1: Absolutely. Well, and and just one more point, please. This like I'm fueled to do this work because of the question, what would the world look like if no child was abused or neglected? Right. That's why this is worth it. And that's what we're working toward. So if you want to follow along and you know be a part of what we're doing, follow Child USA on all of the relevant social media. Check out our website resources because we are constantly putting them out there donate to our organization. And we have an annual event coming up. So buy a ticket and come celebrate the previous year of work with us.
0: And it's a great event. I I attended last year and I got my, it was during the middle of COVID and I got my wine and my swag bag (laughs) and I tuned in. It was so much fun. And really, especially for other practitioners like myself, attorneys, Child USA has a great resource. They have a breakout state by state of the laws of the statute of limitations. Go there, guys. It it really is good. So. I will continue to watch Pennsylvania and let listeners know to reach out to you all in particular and to the legislators specifically. Thank you so much for taking this time. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, what a pleasure. It's fun to talk to someone who (laughs) shares the same interests. Awesome, guys. Okay, be well until next time. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.